Good morning, Nashville. My name is Braden Gall, and this is the 440 for Monday, December 7th. The NFL has a way of humbling people pretty quickly. Baker Mayfield played the best half of football of his entire career, running what looked like a carbon copy of an Arthur Smith game plan, complete with reverse quarterback throwbacks, a touchdown pass to an offensive lineman, and big shots down the field off of play action. It was like the Browns were trolling Smith the entire game. Seriously, it was actually very eerie and quite impressive if we're being honest. And it ended up being the worst half of football the Tennessee Titans have maybe ever played in the history of the franchise. The Browns were up 38-7 at halftime, and Mayfield was 20 of 25 passing for 290 yards and four touchdowns. Again, at halftime. Cleveland scored on all six possessions in the first half, including a 28-point second quarter that basically ended the game. According to NextGen stats, Mayfield was pressured one time in the first half on 25 pass attempts. The Browns were brilliantly efficient and called one of the best games I've seen all season. They had 20 first downs, 344 total yards. They went 5 of 6 on third down. They ran 43 offensive plays and seemed to be one step ahead of Mike Vrabel's defense on every big play. But just as impressive as the offense was in the first half, the Browns' defense was excellent too. Derrick Henry had 7 carries for 15 yards at the half and finished with just 60 yards on 15 carries. Clearly, the Titans were not ready to play, and the 17-0 hole was simply too big to climb out of. But this was also a personnel issue, too, as the Browns did an excellent job attacking weak spots. David Questenberry struggled with Miles Garrett, as the offensive line didn't provide much protection for Ryan Tannehill at any point during the game. Breon Borders was picked on all day by Mayfield. David Long played hard, per usual, but Jayon Brown was missed in the middle of this defense against the league's number one rushing attack. The Tennessee defense was atrocious, and it was the usual suspects. The secondary allowed pass catchers massive chunks of open field, beginning on the first drive. The pass rush was totally non-existent the entire game, and the third down defense was a failure once again. The Browns entered the game averaging 194 yards passing per game, ranked 30th in the league. They finished with 340 yards passing on just 34 attempts and finished with 459 total yards of offense. Sadly, the Tennessee offense wasn't much better. A costly early turnover and some bad three and outs allowed Cleveland to run up a big number early, and they never recovered. They failed to protect the quarterback and were never allowed to find the balance that we know that they want to play with. Sure, the Titans made a late push, scoring four touchdowns in the second half in what was largely garbage time to make the game look a lot closer and the box score a lot less ugly. But this was a good old-fashioned ass-whipping by a team clearly seeking revenge for how it was embarrassed a year ago by this Tennessee team. Ignore those two late touchdowns and the 35 points for Tennessee. It basically means nothing. The loss, combined with the Colts' win over Houston, has created a tie for first place yet again in the AFC South. And right now, the tiebreaker currently is the Titans' one-game edge in the division record. The Titans are 3-1 and and the Colts are 2-2, and each having a game with Houston and Jacksonville left on the schedule. Entering the toughest and most important stretch of the season, the Titans went 2-2, two and two, splitting two games with the Colts, beating Baltimore, and losing to Cleveland. They didn't stake their claim as one of the AFC's best teams, but they also didn't wet the bed either. And here's the best news for Titans fans following a very forgettable Sunday at Nissan Stadium. They held on to first place and now enter the final stretch featuring very winnable games against Jacksonville, Detroit, and Houston wrapped around a tough trip to Green Bay. The Titans will be heavily favored in three of those games, and a 3-1 record automatically gives this team an AFC South championship and a nice springboard into the playoffs. You just got to put whatever the hell that was on Sunday behind you quickly and get back to work.
There's no real reason to talk at length about what actually happened in Neyland Stadium on Saturday between Florida and Tennessee. A premier program coached by one of the best offensive minds in the country and quarterbacked by the Heisman Trophy frontrunner won a football game with relative ease over a reeling, once-proud institution that is currently questioning its entire general existence. Florida was the better football team, they played like it, and they won the game. But here's a rapid-fire look at some takeaways for Vols fans. The bad, this was the Gators' 15th win in 16 tries against the Volunteers. That streak dates back to 2004, when I was in college. I'm 38 years old. The good, freshman Harrison Bailey made his first career start and showed on a second-quarter drive just enough skill to finally create a sense of optimism. The play calling was uber simple, and the reads were too, and he did come out of the game trailing by three scores. But Bailey made a few plays and offered up a glimmer of hope for next season. He finished 14 of 21 for 111 yards, a touchdown, and no turnovers. To top it off, JT Shrout didn't look all that bad either in mop-up duty in the fourth quarter, unless, of course, you had the Gators minus 17. The bad, Jeremy Pruitt was very snippy and condescending in his post-game press conference because I would guess of all the losing his teams do. But reporters have to ask about the game. They have to ask about the state of the program, about the quarterback situation, about the third down defense. And publicly insulting people for just doing their jobs is always going to be a bad look, and it caps off an entire week of bad looks for Jeremy Pruitt. The good, once again, this didn't seem like it was about effort for Tennessee. In fact, Pruitt admitted as much after the game. This loss was not about effort, it was about execution, which leads us to the bad. Quote, The problem that Tennessee has is that they don't have the offensive scheme to be able to compete with the best teams in the conference. End quote. That was friend of the pod Chris Doring's analysis on SEC Final Saturday night. That's as straightforward as it gets. So if you want your young quarterback to develop this offseason into someone who can win you games next year, then you need to pair him with a more innovative, modernized, and creative offensive system this offseason, period. Lastly, the ugly. The facts remain. Tennessee has lost six straight games, all by 10 points or more, and by an average of 19 points. Tennessee has lost 36 consecutive times to top 10 teams. And Tennessee has been outscored in the second half 122-26 to during the losing streak. I've said it a hundred times, I don't think Jeremy Pruitt is going anywhere. But that doesn't mean there don't need to be changes on Rocky Top on the coaching staff. And frankly, I do not know what else you need to see. With the win over Tennessee and Alabama's complete annihilation of LSU in Baton Rouge, Florida and Alabama have clinched a spot in the SEC championship game scheduled for now on December 19th. This will be the 10th time the two of them have met in Atlanta in the SEC title games, 29-year history. Alabama has won five of the nine meetings, including the last three with the Gators. Alabama and Florida are tied with 13 SEC title game appearances each, which accounts for 26 of the 58 total possible berths since 1992, if my math is correct. Alabama is 8-4 and four in Atlanta, and Florida is 7-5 and five in the SEC title game, and all nine of the losses have come against each other. South Carolina, Mississippi State, Texas A&M, Kentucky, Ole Miss, and Vanderbilt have a combined two appearances in the SEC championship game in 154 tries. South Carolina appears to have zeroed in on Oklahoma assistant coach Shane Beamer as its new head football coach, and I wish I could sell something concrete about him to you Gamecocks fans. He was born in Charleston, that's a plus. Coached on the South Carolina staff for a few years, that's a plus. He's the son of legendary coach Frank Beamer, also a plus, and is a part of a team that's in its like 100th Big 12 championship game in a row this season. But like with any first-time head coach, 
anyone who says they know definitively if he will be successful managing a $100 million-plus football program in the toughest league in America without any experience is just guessing. It's uninspiring to me, and I don't see a whole lot of upside with Shane Beamer. But as I just told you, that's basically a guess. Meanwhile, the Vanderbilt search continues, and Will Healy from Charlotte continues to be the name that I would call, that I would recommend, and that I would go hire if I was Vanderbilt. Thank you all for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Share the show. Tell all your friends. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. This has been the 440 for Monday, December 7th. The 440 is a production of 440 Media, written and produced by Braden Gall, music by William Tyler. Thank you.